HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Erica Wise, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and I am just delighted to welcome today a very special guest. Um, she happens to be a listener uh, and we have been corresponding for several years now, although somewhat sporadically. Her name is Dr. Flora Josephine Hagen-Lister, and she is the District Veterinary Officer of Western Iceland in the Icelandic Food and Veterinary Authority. Her work includes monitoring food safety, animal health, and animal welfare. She inspects food animal production facilities and food business operations. It is really my great good fortune to have her as a listener, and I'm so delighted that she has consented to join me on the show to offer a more global perspective on food animal production. Um, So welcome to the program, Josie. It is really an honor to have you. I'm so excited about this. Well, uh, likewise, Katie. It's a great honor to be on your show. I'm, I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> oh, totally, babes. So, um, uh, and I hope you'll be a guest again some other time when we have more, you know, sort of global things to talk about. But why don't we start by just talking about what your job is? Because you have quite a complex job compared to sort of uh, the ordinary vet here in the United States. Well, um, my job is... Uh, primarily inspecting. So uh, what I do is I go to uh, farms and uh, where I will be inspecting for uh, uh, animal welfare uh, regulations and um, uh, food safety regulations. And uh, I'll just be looking at the farm and seeing uh, whether I find any uh, non-compliances. And after that, I I write up a report and uh, I give them a deadline to uh, be compliant. Uh-huh. And um, and uh, I also go to food business operators mm-hmm. uh, where I will be, of course, only inspecting for um, uh, food hygiene. And right. um, in my district, it's primarily dairies. And I also have a uh, 
meat-cutting plant for fin whales. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, we, we're, so, I, I don't know if we could go to her. I, I, we'll do another show about whales. Because, I mean, <laughs> that's like a dirty word in this country. Cutting whales? You're not allowed to eat whale meat in the United States. There's no such whale uh, I know it's quite controversial, but yeah. <laughs> there you have it. Well, you... So, you uh, you aren't actually Icelandic by birth, so you can kind of like, you know, say this without any, um, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yes. you don't have to defend the practice. It just exists. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, well, it, you know, it's, it's controversial here. Icelandic people are, it's a small nation, and they're uh, usually very proud of uh, whatever they do, and they don't want any big guys to tell them what to do so traditionally just because somebody's telling them not to do it they want to do it wow. uh, but uh, you know it's it's becoming a little more controversial but that's a that's a different discussion what kind of whales are they just did you say fin whales fin, fin whale well they they uh, they hunt two types of whales here it's uh, fin whales and um a smaller type which on the top of my mind i cannot remember the English name of it. Okay. Uh, but uh, fin whale is the second largest whale in the world. Wow. So, uh, yeah. So that's really They're very really naughty big. indeed. I'm sure it's a very <laughs> endangered species. <laughs> well, well, they, it, it, uh, the Icelanders don't think they're naughty, but... Yes. So, yeah. That's okay. All right. Well, we'll as you say, it'll be another show. But tell us a little bit yeah. about Icelandic livestock agriculture. Like, how big are the farms or the facilities that you visit? How many head well, are aggregated the, typically? They're, they're, I mean, this is such a tiny country, so uh, they are a lot smaller than uh, anything you'll find in the U.S. Uh, when it uh, comes to uh, dairy farms, yeah. the average size is like 37 cows. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so it varies from like 10 to 200. Yeah. And uh, sheep farms it's uh, you know the the biggest farms will be a little more than a thousand heads per farm uh -huh. uh, when it comes to poultry and and um, uh, pork or pig farms they yeah. are sort of the same uh, system as in the US but just smaller scale but you'll have the same houses with like 10,000 chickens in them and, uh -huh. and that kind of stuff but maybe not you know uh, 50 houses but 10. Right, you know. so right. It's, it, it's smaller scale, but same system. So, so your, so uh, that's my next question was, does your, do yeah. your methods, at least let's, let's concentrate on poultry and pork for, for the moment, yeah. um, because yeah. we can compare and contrast. So what are, yeah. so you, you told me that, um, that swine operations in Iceland tend to have the same housing, meaning the confined area feeding operations, what we call them here, CAFOs. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, they're on a slatted floor. Well, I think everybody does that now because, I mean, you don't want them mucking around in their own feces. I mean, that's that seems like the right thing to do. Um, do you have them on, on slatted floors? Yeah, don't. As a vet, yeah. what do you feel about that? Is that a bad thing? Um, well, of course, you don't want to have them mucking around in their own feces, but um, uh, the problem with having them on, not, not that the floors are slatted, but uh, having them without anything to root in, like, yes. uh, you know, straw or something like that, is that they just get very bored and they don't have anything to do. I mean, they spend, I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
wild uh, hogs or any kind of uh, pig that you would set free would spend like eight hours a day or something like that just rooting and and uh, it's a very very strong instinct and Mm -hmm. if they're just in a barren environment they don't you know uh, have anything to do Right, and that's when they get into biting each other's tails off and yeah, fighting yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I sometimes compare, you know, like uh, the way you keep cows sometimes in tie stalls, yeah. in tie barns. Uh, you know, in one way it would be comparable to keeping these um, um, uh, sows in, in the, the gestation crates, but... But the uh, cows spend so many hours a day eating, you know, they're yes. chewing and chewing. So they have something to do, which the pigs don't. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and so typically, uh, in your experience of pork farms there, do they give them stuff to play with? Because I don't think we uh, even do that. I don't think we even give them yeah. so much as a bale of hay to play with. Yeah. Well, um, uh, they do, I, I mean, they do give them some toy things, plastic things and stuff like that. Uh, the, the regulation that uh, is enforced now says that you're supposed to give them something. But it is a big challenge because all the um, uh, farms are built, you know, with these slatted floors and giving them a lot of straw or something to play with would clog their, um, uh, you know, their sewage system or their, their, their fees, you know. uh, Right. Sure. uh, Yeah. And, uh, and so they can't just, you know, use their buildings that they have and throw in a whole lot of, of, uh, of uh, straw. Right. Or, yeah. So, uh, it, it, it is pretty new in the regulation, and they're, you know, still... This is a big problem, actually, in the whole of Europe, is, is this uh, uh, demand for so-called manipulable material uh-huh. uh, because of the strong need that pigs have to explore and, and, uh, and root. And it's uh, quite a challenge for the uh, pig farms to find a way of doing it. Yeah, and and handling the uh, handling all that straw or whatever it is. So, uh, a lot of places are experimenting with wood, uh-huh. giving them pieces of wood. Yeah, but they often get bored with them quite quickly. Yeah, but it, but that uh, th- this has been uh, in in the whole of Europe a uh, a a uh, demand in the regulation, and I know that. It is a challenge to find manipulable materials. Yes, I would imagine. And, I can see the problem, uh, absolutely. And, and just, you know, avail- you know, here in Iceland, we don't grow a lot of uh, grain, so we mm. don't have a lot of, uh, you know, it's a luxury commodity, uh, straw. Yeah. So uh, uh, there, there, there are a lot of challenges yeah, I concerning that. that. Well, you sent yep. me a very interesting article about uh, tail docking, and um, we obviously tail dock here. I, I think it's mm-hmm. completely acceptable. I don't, and in and in the EU, it's now a regulation that you can't tail dock, at least without any anesthesia or anything. And I know that animal welfare groups are pushing for that in this country, but it is far from mm-hmm. a done deal. Uh, as is, I have never heard a regulation that animals have to have something to play with ever. That has never no. crossed a pork farmer's mind in this country. I mean, if you pasture your pork, then they have something to do. But if you're if you're running a pork house, you know, one of those big houses, they don't they don't do that. No, it's not. There are, I mean, are there even any? Uh, I once a few years ago tried to uh, uh, find on the internet 
uh, a regulation, animal welfare regulation in the U.S., and I didn't find much of anything. Are, is there <laughs> like a, a regulation in the U.S. for the welfare of pigs or, or something like that? Um, the regulations that you're aware of? Uh, yeah. Um, the <laughs> only regulations I'm aware of are sort of basic animal welfare, meaning like you're not allowed to strike an animal, you're not allowed to, you're not supposed to like stick an electric prod up its butt and stuff like that. But believe right. me, it happens all the time. I mean, there yeah. is no yeah. end to the undercover videos that surface, you know, from Mercy for Animals or uh, PETA mm. or some of the other animal welfare groups, uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, which show that our, you know, the, the workforce that works with our animals in this country is generally, um, you know, very poorly paid, poorly trained, poorly supervised. And mm-hmm. uh, and there is a lot of animal abuse going on, even though, of course, the animal well, the animal agriculture industry denies it to the death. I mean, they will just go, mm-hmm. they will go to great. In fact, they're going to the lengths, uh, including passing legislation, uh, which I know you're aware of, what we call ag-gag in this country, um, where mm-hmm. you could go to jail or be at least, at the very least, heavily fined for recording mm-hmm. any of these abuses and then publishing them. So, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's really tough. But as far as a regulation like giving an animal something to do, um, mm-hmm. no. And in poultry... Uh, which I know is another concern of yours. In poultry, they are uh, the the ASPCA, which is the animal, you know, biggest animal welfare um, organization in this country. Um, it's the Association for Prevention Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Um, they are looking to pass legislation that would allow sort of natural behaviors in hens, who at this, you know, most hens in this country are housed in very small cages where they literally can't mm-hmm. turn around. You know, they don't even have mm-hmm. a wingspan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're trying to just, you know, giving them, give them access to like roosting or pecking, you know, mm-hmm. things like that, because mm-hmm. otherwise mm-hmm. they pull out each other's feathers, which I know you, you were aware of. Yeah. But um, yeah. let's, let's go on. And so tell me, like, how does your job compare to, I, I think it's really interesting that you wear both hats in the sense that your job is comparable to a USDA inspector, meaning that you inspect uh, the welfare of the animals, but also in our country, a USDA inspector is in a slaughter facility and makes mm-hmm. sure that the meat is up to, you know, the quality that we demand. Um, mm-hmm. So there's both an inspection and a welfare aspect to you as a vet and an inspector. And I, does that ever present conflicts of interest for you? The welfare versus uh, food hygiene? Is that what yeah. you're thinking about? Well, yeah. I mean, or, 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 or I had other. I had a. I had a good example, which was like supposing uh, you see an, a farmer who is compliant with you know the regulations as they are written, and yet you as a vet are concerned that uh, this animal is not doing well or something like that, or or say it had to do with like feeding them antibiotics. Um, mm-hmm. Do you find that there is any conflict between your inspection duties and your, you know, animal welfare veterinarian hat, if you see what I mean? Um, no, I mean, no. I, it's very important for me that uh, I'm, you know, I may, I may have my own personal views, but uh, I, in my job, the only thing I am allowed to demand is uh, what's in the regulations and in the law. Right. So, um, you know, I, I I can always, you know, in other ways try and change the law, but uh, it, it's that it's it, yes, it is a challenging thing to to have the, that role where you you can see things that you don't quite agree with the regulation, but that's what you have to uh, right. 
relate to. You know, it's it, I'm a I'm a public servant, and I'm uh, you know doing what the legislators have decided we we need to do. Yes, and uh, so yes, it's it's challenging. But on the other hand, there's more than enough work to be done to get uh, you know producers and uh, to be compliant with the regulations that exist. Yes. So there, there's plenty of challenges, even though sometimes I would like the law to go a little further than what it does. Indeed. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what I was getting so, at. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So, um, so, and that leads me to my next question, which is um, how much support do you get from the state when it comes to enforcing food safety and hygiene laws, say in a bigger operation like one of the pork or poultry businesses you describe? Because, you know, as we learned when you were listening to Barry Estabrook um, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago with Pigtails um, and in other books that have come out recently, uh, USDA inspectors are often marginalized or terminated mm-hmm. even for doing their job if it has a negative impact on production. Um, So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like specifically within a slaughterhouse, you know, when there's a USDA inspector on the line and he's watching, you know, either animal handling or he sees an animal that's maybe not, you know, completely healthy looking after slaughter, um, slowing down or or stopping the line is is becoming less and less of an option for USDA inspectors. And indeed, we Mm -hmm. have way Mm -hmm. fewer of them on the line than we used to. Um, Mm -hmm. So so does your does the state really support you? your you know your cadre your fellow vets and inspectors in doing your job or is there a sort of a turning a, well, turning a blind eye you know, I, I, I sort of when I hear those stories on your show I think oh I'm I'm very lucky uh, <laughs> compared to that because yes I do I do feel that we have uh, support um, there, there will always be a um, uh, you know, a challenging situation between, uh, you know, not disturbing production too much. That sure. will always be a challenge. Uh, but uh, I, I feel like there is room to, to uh, you know, uh, make these sometimes difficult demands. I mean, we have a – I feel we have um, – there's one very good thing. Uh, I think it's good anyway. We get um, uh, inspections from the European Union. We're, Iceland is not in the European Union, but we're in the um, EFTA, the European Free Trade Association. Uh-huh. So we have the same uh, food hygiene um, legislation that they have in Europe. I see. And we get uh, the we the competent authority uh, the icelandic food and veterinary um uh, my god <laughs> i'm missing the the word no, the, the authority agency, or agency uh, yeah. uh-huh. is is uh, inspected uh, so the inspectors get inspected <laughs> and that in a way helps us a lot because you know then we get the push to do the right things Sometimes, you know, we have a lot of pressure to not stop production. To There's a lot of pressure the other way. Yes. So this outside inspection that we're actually doing what we're supposed to do uh, is a sort of force in the other direction. Yeah. You know, and they make reports. And so that is something I don't think the USDA has and that we have. <laughs> No. 
<laughs> we most certainly do not, my dear. Um, and that leads me to the next question because you just you just a perfect segue there, Josie. Thank you. Um, because you talked about the pressure about for not stopping production. So yeah. so in our country. Uh, the food industry, whether it's uh, lives, you know, the animal uh, livestock mm-hmm. industry, um, these external industries int- often attempt change or influence uh, laws or regulations at a legislative level. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you have experienced the same thing in Iceland. And I think you've answered my question by saying that the EU inspects your inspectors. But um, do you feel mm-hmm. like that there is a push within um, animal livestock industries to maybe alter those protocols, even within the EU inspection services? Uh, well, the, the animal welfare legislation is not EU or just a very small part of it. So... So they, uh, I, I, I think anything that has to do with food hygiene, they, mm-hmm. you know, the industry here mm, sort of it's realizes too small to change. It's maybe more sometimes a push to to come out of the Euro, to, of this to, uh, deal or this uh, trade association. But, oh, really? But uh, the um, there is definitely a a, a push to. Uh, to influence the, these uh, animal welfare uh, law and or, or regulations, mm-hmm. de- definitely, uh, which is of course understandable. I mean, better animal welfare is more expensive, and uh, they are worried that uh, you know when their products get more expensive, people are going to buy less of them. So it's completely understandable, but. Um, what I do feel is a difference is I feel like it's a little more balanced, this lobbying, uh, that uh, the, the, you know, animal um, welfare organizations, you know, have a maybe more uh, equal influence uh, than, than what I have a feeling it is in the U.S. I mean, like when they were going to make these, uh, we recently got new... Uh, regulations for the animal welfare and the different species and mm-hmm. uh, the um, in creating these regulations they had one veterinarian from the from uh, the uh, food and veterinary authority there yeah. was one representative from the livestock industry and there was one representative from an animal welfare organization uh-huh. who who made the outline for the regulations. And then, of course, there's a lot of lobbying going on. You know, yeah, but those three that. entities came together and they wrote the came regulations. Came together to, yeah. to, to, you know, make a draft. Yeah, because so, I, 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 I'm yeah. not an expert, but I think that what happens here <clears throat> is more like um, the, the trade industry groups get together, possibly with vets, um, and uh, I'm not aware that they include necessarily, unless under great duress, um, any animal welfare specialists or organizations, although mm. it has been known to happen. I mean, uh, certainly right. um, the U.S. poultry uh, industry, when it came to egg layers, uh, they passed leg- they passed some regulations along with um, the uh, Humane Society of the United States. They helped write those mm-hmm. regulations, but that is mm-hmm. definitely the exception, not the rule, to how we do business yeah. here. So you yeah. know, it's interesting to me because I, it's hard to say whether um, 
this happens because and, and, and there is no government support, by the way, for I mean, these our senators, our Congress is basically bought and paid for by, you know, lobbyists. And yeah, uh, the yeah. idea that we have a free and democratic society is, is, is a chimera now. I mean, it just doesn't really exist anymore, in my opinion. And certainly where yeah. it comes to food legislation and legislation around industry, um, you know, mm-hmm. industry writes their own rules and then they pay mm-hmm. Congress by helping them get reelected. Mm-hmm. And then Congress passes the rules that the industry wants. And that's just kind of yeah. how it works around here. L- l- listening to your show has really made me love the European Union. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm so proud of the European Union oh my compared God, to what's going on be. in the US. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's really it's it's scandalous what happens here. It really is. And you know, and we all yeah. kind of like eat our, you know, cheap meat and <laughs> And say thank yeah, you very I much. I mean, you know. uh, enormous amounts of cheap meat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as much as you want. Have some more. Here, have yeah. a have a double size portion. Eat bigger portions. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think I just I just uh, heard this. Uh, I, I think I saw, saw a show about uh, on BBC about meat consumption, and I think uh, the average American consumes 120 kilos of meat. Oh yeah, I think it's average- easily that. Average European consumes 80 kilos of meat. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 So that's quite a difference. It's quite a difference. Mm -hmm. And also, and we have, and and if you think about it, we have a fairly large vegetarian population here. I mean, I know it's not huge, but, um, but yeah, you know, so that means that Mm -hmm. some people are eating way more than 120 kilos. I mean, you know, so, um, but anyway, Josie, stay on the line. We're going to take a short break for a sponsor drop and we'll be right back with Dr. Liste, a veterinarian from Iceland who is helping to school us on how things go in the EU. Stay tuned. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. We're back. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. My guest today is Dr. Flora Josephine Hagen-Lista, who is a veterinarian in Iceland and a listener. And I'm proud to have her on the show to talk a little bit about practices in Europe, about which we really hardly ever hear. I mean, you really have to look hard on the internet um, to read about um, what's I guess, harder than I'm willing to look, (laughs) mostly because I'm so horrified by what's happening here. I can't stop reading this. (laughs) But but anyway, it is absolutely fascinating. So let's talk a little bit about medications, because as a vet, Mm -hmm. you know all about that. Um, So you prescribe medications for livestock. And I'm just curious, you know, as you know, there's a tremendous controversy, not only in the United States, but globally about the use of antibiotics in livestock production, uh, mostly for growth promoting, but also as it's, you know, sort of flip side disease prevention, which pretty much allows for the same status quo. But how do you guys measure how much antibiotics go into your livestock production? How carefully monitored is that, um, especially antibiotics used in, in human medicine as well? Do you have like a yeah. system there? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we have this um, uh, European legislation again, and I decided I just found this uh, uh, 
I wanted to read it for you, what it Please. says here in, in our legislation. It says, food business operators rearing animals or producing primary products of animal origin or in particular to keep records on veterinary medicinal products or other treatments administered to the animals, dates of administration and withdrawal periods. So um, it means basically everybody who's keeping animals uh, that are meant to uh, produce um, you know, meat, eggs or milk, uh, they have to um, keep records about everything they use. Yeah, and uh, also uh, the, uh, from what I gather, the regulation also uh, requires retailers to keep records for five years about uh-huh. you know everything they sell. Uh-huh. So and records that are available to the competent authorities. Uh-huh. So you know, I recently actually in um, in. Uh, February went uh, on a training course for uh, veterinarians who are working in the competent authorities in the European Union in Ireland uh-huh. um, on, you know, specifically this, just a whole week of how to wow. inspect farms and, uh, and, and all the, the, the monitoring programs, which we do in, in taking samples of the products. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, so every, all, all the farmers are required to, to keep records. And uh, and uh, recently, in uh, there was published a report, or you know, recently, maybe a year ago, year uh-huh. and a half ago, on where, where they you know put together all the information on the usage of antibiotics in Europe, and I think Norway came out top of the class, you know, or with your uh, home country, the smallest, my home country, yeah. yes, <laughs> and Iceland was number two. Wow. So, yeah. So yeah. in terms of, of keeping records, careful monitoring? No, no, and, and in terms of not using. Of just not using. You know, in, in mm-hmm. terms of, uh, of, uh, of not using, yeah. So also I know, uh, you know, we, in Norway and in Iceland too, there's a, a database where all the vets are supposed to put in, the, uh, in all the drugs that they use for food-producing animals. Uh-huh. And uh, which I have access to, so you know I can go and check on any farm, right? You know, which treatments have been given? Uh, oh wow! You know, I yeah. don't think we have that kind of database. No, I, and, I know that there is. There, there has to be some way. I mean, they, they, you know, there, there are all these statistics in this country. About eighty percent of the antibiotics produced in this country go yeah, into livestock. Yeah, I was just wondering blah, 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 where blah. do you get those statistics from? I they think must, they must get be it something somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think they get that literally from the pharmaceutical agencies, which are obliged to disclose how many pounds they produce and where those are sold into. I think where we right. fall down is, um, is in monitoring how much each particular farm is using of what. Right. And, and uh, you know, and a lot of our antibiotics uh, are administered in feed and water um, so that uh, the animals are protected because of the environments in which they live, you know, being sort of mm-hmm. not the best mm-hmm. for animal husbandry. Mm-hmm. And so, but, yep. but for that, and, and, and I also know that they must withdraw the antibiotics 120 days before slaughter in the case of beef cattle. I'm not sure what the, um, what the, what the right. limits are for other animals, but... So there are some monitoring um, mechanisms in place, but the reality is, is that we have very little idea of what really and truly is being used and how much of what, especially the human class of drugs, um, even though they have taken cephalosporins out of the mix and they've taken, um, 
some of the other, you know, more important ones. But, uh, you know, the, the tetracyclines are still heavily used. Penicillin is still heavily used. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, these are, <laughs> it's just, it's an outrage, yeah. but anyway, yeah. but, yeah. um, we don't have, well, a... well, you know, the, 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 um, in the, uh, European, uh, union food legislation, uh, traceability is a, you know, key concept. Mm-hmm. So you're supposed to be able to, you know, trace back, uh, where, what was put into each animal, you know, feed and, uh, and water and, uh, yeah, and and uh, and drugs. You're supposed right. to be able to, you know, if something comes if something comes up, you're supposed to be able to trace back and figure out what happened. So um, that leads me to my next question, which I don't think mm-hmm. I put on my little um, question and answer thing for you. But mm-hmm. um, but uh, we, you know, in this country, we have a lot of new uh, antibiotic resistant drugs, such as Salmonella Heidelberg, Salmonella Temporium. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are all directly attributable to antibiotic use in the livestock sector. Do you find that the European Union is developing new strains of antibiotic-resistant drugs besides MRSA, which we're going to talk about in a minute? But, um, you know, do you have these new developments of, of uh, say, E. coli 0157H7, which is antibiotic-resistant to a certain extent? I mean, how has your use of antibiotics um, changed your pathogen field, as it were? Um... I'm not. Uh, I'm not entirely aware of. Uh, uh, I'm just trying to. You know, I, it, it's it's definitely a problem. I just can't quite remember which pathogens. Uh, okay. But. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm at a loss at that. No question. worries. We'll move um, on. No, not yeah. a problem. I, I, and I threw that yeah. at, threw, threw that at you out of the blue. So not fair. <laughs> Um, let's talk yeah. about Denmark for, an, for for a minute, though, because um, the Denmark pork production has been held up mm-hmm. as the, you know, alternatively the poster child for how successful uh, farmers have been in ridding um, human antibiotics or even prophylactic use of antibiotics in their pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at mm-hmm. the same time, in our in our country, the the pork industry in Denmark is vilified because they had a little spike in mortality after they did that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's and it's oh, yeah. you know yeah. and the, and the uh, the pork industry in this country is bound to determine. To, to insist that this just did not work. The Danish experiment, as it's called, um, has mm-hmm, been, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, written up as the worst thing that ever happened to pork. Um, <laughs> but clearly that is not true. <laughs> um, and so what, what, else is, what else are the Danes doing uh, in terms of, of pork husbandry that allow them to have such a thriving uh, pork industry without the use of antibiotics? Is there, a ch- is there a difference well, in the way yeah. they generally raise their pigs from what we do? Um, well, I, I think they're very good at biosecurity, uh, huh. for sure, you mm-hmm. know. Um, the, they have the, the, there are differences. I don't know whether those differences are what makes them, uh, uh, you know, succeed at not using antibiotics. I think it, they just succeed at not using antibiotics because... I don't know. I th- I feel like uh, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like the the American uh, system. They've just gotten so used to using it, they just think they can't do without it. But mm-hmm. um, it's pretty intensive the, the the Danish system too, you know. But yes. of course, uh, they follow European legislation, which now says that. Uh, 
uh, you can you have to have the sales group house, not in gestation pens, right. uh, except for a, a period of 30 days. Uh-huh. And the, the Danes are actually uh, banning that period of gestation crates too. So now I think they can only have them in crates when they are in the farrowing uh, pens, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, when they have the piglets. Yeah. Uh, and um, um, they uh, also have minimum space requirements. I don't know, you know, they have to have uh, a certain amount of square meters, 0.65 per uh-huh. fattening pig, uh, between 80 and 110 kilos. Uh-huh. I don't know whether the um, stocking density is greater in the U.S., that might be a factor. It might be, true. certainly. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I can't really imagine it being a lot, you know, uh, tighter than that. But uh, <laughs> I don't think you've seen an American <laughs> farm, honey. So, you know how uh, we work here. <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, then they have these requirements for rooting material, which they are, you know, I know in Denmark they're trying to do this with wood, uh, Yeah. you know, yeah. Right, right, right. So which, which can be discussed whether that's, you know. Whether that's actually or effective or not. Well, I mean, the point yeah. is, is that they're trying to do something to yeah. make the pigs happier in spite of the yeah. fact that they're confined absolutely. in these terrible uh, places. Absolutely, you know, anything yeah. that's, yeah. So, and, and just getting rid of those gestation crates is a, you know, big step. That was huge. I mean, in this country, we are phasing them out as well um, because a lot yeah. of our big uh Pork buyers um, have said that they will not buy pork uh, from companies that sell that use uh, gestation or farrowing crates um, for pigs, and so those are being phased out. But it's taking, uh, you know, because it's really basically they're waiting until that they would have had to replace them. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like they they're 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 still right, using they're just them, waiting for their their life. Span to, to yeah exactly the fire or the, the crates, right right and then they'll yeah. make the, and then they'll make the um you know the infrastructural changes and it sounds like the yeah. Danes kind of uh, didn't take that step they just said okay you're done with these crates get rid of them H- how did that happen with the farmers I know I'm I'm sending you another question that you're not really prepared for but but um, no, how in, did farmers in, in deal Denmark? with that yeah um. You know, I think I'm, I'm just going to answer the question in Norway instead because that's, that's what fine. I know the answer to. Uh, okay. b- I, um, because there they uh, actually, the industry itself uh, banned gestation crates <laughs> in the year 2000. Wow. I mean, nor- I mean, the Danes always laugh at the Norwegians when we talk about pork production, you know. So right. they think they're sort of pitifully small and state-subsidized. But still, I've, I've got to tell the story anyway that, you know, when I came, I started vet school in 2000, and I I never seen a sow a, a in a gestation crate. Yeah. And, you know, it, I was shocked when I saw it the first time, you know, here. So, sure. Uh, it was um, the the industry itself uh, had the initiative to uh, uh, stop the gestation crates in the year 2000. Um, another story about that is uh, when I went to another one of my training courses for veterinary inspectors in um, uh, Parma, uh, ironically enough, on uh-huh. animal welfare in pig production. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, uh, 
<laughs> Isn't that funny? It's yeah. lovely. So, <laughs> so uh, there I met this uh, French uh, inspector, and he told me, you know, it was uh, supposed to be uh, phased out or by the 2013, the gestation crates in Europe. Yeah. And uh, he said in 2012, you know, there was none of the pig producers in his district who'd done it. Oh, dear. And France got this letter from the European Union saying, you know, if you don't fix this, within a year we're going to give you a huge fine. You uh-huh. know? And uh, the, the authorities, I guess, got in touch with the pig producers and informed them of the situation. And within one year, I mean, they had had 10 wow. years to, to do the change. They hadn't done the thing. Within one year, 95% wow. of the producers were compliant. Wow. And so that and, is... And the whole time, they, you know, I, I, yeah. I'm sure they'd been saying stuff like, oh, it's not possible, it's too expensive, it's not doable, we can't do it. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. yeah. And yet when, when so confronted with a, a greater really good, loss... that's uh, a good and describing story about... It is. You know, when one can, it's possible to do whatever if there's the will to do it. Yes. But that leads me to the question of whether or not the state is involved at all in, um, you know, in subsidizing these industries or making it somehow easier mm-hmm. for them to make a mm-hmm. major infrastructural change like that, which that would mm-hmm. not happen in this country. Perhaps it does happen no. in Norway or, or in the EU somewhere. Yeah. No? Yeah, it, it does to to a varying degree in different countries, I but uh, there there is some support, uh-huh. which which there is not here in Iceland for the pig uh, industry, which is making it a little hard for them. Interesting. Um, we're going to yeah. jump ahead a little bit here and talk just for a second because you mentioned in one of our correspondences that uh, the Icelandic um, poultry industry has um, methods for uh, controlling Salmonella and Campylobacter um, so mm-hmm. that it is a significantly less problem of a problem in terms of foodborne illness. Um, and whereas here, it's those are the two; those two uh, pathogens are the number one and two causes of foodborne illness in this country. Mm-hmm. So, what are you guys doing there that we need to learn from you? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if you want to learn it, but uh, I'm going to tell you what we do anyway. Um, the uh, the, <laughs> the uh, concerning Salmonella, uh, we have a uh, a uh, there, there's taken samples from all um, flocks of birds or broilers yeah. uh, within three weeks of slaughter. And if they are positive for salmonella, they are not allowed to slaughter them. Oh. So, uh, which means they, they're actually just put down on the farm. You know, they wow. gas, put gas in the, in, in the, in the barns. So wow. every flock is sampled. Every single flock is sampled. And if there is salmonella, they, they you know, get uh, put down and they do not go on market. Wow. And they also take samples. You know, even if there, you had a negative uh, sample on the farm, uh-huh. they also take samples in the slaughterhouse. Right. And uh, and uh, if if uh, the, that sample is uh, positive, then they have to recall <gasps> the you know all of all of the poultry. That's incredible. And they have to he- heat treat it. Then uh-huh. they then they can sell it if they heat treat it. Right. So they cook it basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's incredible, That's right. Josie. That's Isn't in other that words, incredible? you have yeah, a zero really, tolerance yeah. for Salmonella and Campylobacter. I mean, if that that will never but, but ever happen are, in this we, country. We have something else for Campylobacter. I'll tell you about that. Okay. But, but this this is uh, 
So in Norway, Sweden, and Finland, they have also very low, uh, they have very little salmonella. They don't, it, by law, it's not that you, ha you can't slaughter salmonella flocks, but they would, no one would do it. The slaughterhouses don't want salmonella. So, yeah. you know, very, very rarely do they find salmonella in the, on the farm. Incredible. So it, they, they, you know, yeah. So, uh, and Campbellbacter, uh, what happened was there was a big outbreak in Iceland, or big, uh, relatively big anyway, uh, of uh, Campylobacter in humans in 99. Uh -huh. And as a result, they made a regulation where uh, they uh, test all flocks five days before they go to slaughter. Yeah. And if they are positive, then they have to either freeze or heat treat the chicken wow. before uh, it goes on market. Uh-huh. Wow. So, yeah, and this is, this is something that they've been very successful at. They've, that, because they, the, the uh, you know, it's, the, the value of the chicken goes down with freezing it and not having it fresh. Yeah. It's a very strong incentive for the farmers to get the Campylobacter down. Oh yeah. Well, both of these. I mean, the idea that yeah. uh, that a, both a, of them. a Purdue both the other thing too, of course, it's yeah. terrible. It's very expensive for a farmer to, you know, they say. don't only lose their their whole barn of ten thousand chickens. They also have to pay a lot of money to put them down. You know. It's, yes, and then dispose of yeah. them, right? Dispose of them and 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 get all the gas. It's a, it's a big thing, you know. Yeah, very big thing. Huge. Yeah. I mean, it's it's un mm -hmm. in this country absolutely unthinkable that Purdue, Tyson, or any of the other big producers would countenance anything like this. And we have, as a yeah. result, an unbelievably high incidence of salmonella, um, obviously yeah. on farm because it's then going into slaughterhouses. And I'm sure you saw a few years ago um, when Cargill, which is one of our you know big meat producers, they have a they're a big turkey business, and they had mm -hmm. uh, salmonella. Heidelberg in one of their plants and they mm -hmm. they got people got very sick they did do a recall to mm -hmm. their credit, which a lot of a, com a lot of companies don't won't do a recall, um, but they mm -hmm. did a recall. Cargill is pretty pretty good when it comes to these kinds of issues, and then um, and then eventually and they could not clean the plant sufficiently, and eventually they had to shut it down, and that was the end yeah. of that plant. I mean, it was like right. because they could not find the source of it, and they could not get yeah. the place clean enough. So, I it mean, it can be really hard to get oh, rid of yeah. the salmonella. Absolutely really difficult. Well, sadly, yeah. my darling, we have only but one minute, and I just want to take that moment to say thank you so so much for joining me today this has really been a pleasure and i would love to do like a regular visit with you i hope you will be amenable to that but i i think that would be fun i think it would be really fun i mean we'll both um, perhaps we could work together on on shows like to talk to sort of compare and contrast numbers and about yeah. eu protocols versus american protocols i'll try to be more informed and and i know you have access to lots of stuff that i probably would never have but uh this has just mm -hmm. been fascinating for me i mean you just blew my mind with the story about how they fix salmonella in your country it's like whoa yes. incredible um <laughs> so you will come back and uh again this was my 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 new best friend, Flora Josephine Hagen Lista. Am I saying your name right? How do you say it in uh, Norwegian? What's What's uh, your native tongue, by the way? Josie. You they, know, jo the, the Norwegian way of saying Josie. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just called Josie. So 
Yeah. Yeah. That, you, you, that was a good, good way, the way you said it. Okay, yep. good. I'm glad I got it right. Um, thank you very much, my darling. And um, keep, keep, yeah. keep talking to me. Keep sending me stuff. I read every single thing you wrote, sent me, all those articles. Very interesting. I'd love to talk about MRSA and Danish farms, by the way, the next time. We'll, 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 we'll make time for that. Yeah. Okay, darling, yeah. thank you yeah. so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. And thanks to my sponsor, Kane Winery, and to my engineer, Jack, as always. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Focus,